I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. We are so excited to be back with you. We are recording this on Monday, May 3rd, our first episode recording in weeks. In weeks. It feels like the longest we've ever gone, even though I'm sure at the beginning, we we planned ahead at the beginning mm-hmm. before the pandemic. And um, But I don't know if we've gone three weeks, have we? I don't think so. This is our first time we've ever missed releasing an episode, and we are so sorry to our listeners. We know that hit hard. (laughs) (laughs) We know you were all sitting there on Monday morning with your tea or your coffee, with tears streaming down your face. (laughs) Exactly. Saying, I wonder what Brittany and Nia would say this week. But we're back um, we're... and in uh, unique fashion. So full disclosure, folks, I am on a headphone mic in a china closet. <laughs> we have to we have to post a picture. I will definitely take one. Uh, and so... you heard her correctly. It's a china closet, not a china cabinet. No, it's a it's a full closet. Um, I'm surrounded by uh, dishes right now. <laughs> I've made a little room on a shelf for the computer, and I'm sitting on a dining room chair with extra pillows. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> uh, but to our listeners, again, we want to apologize for missing that week. I am actually back in Michigan with my family. Um, my grandfather was hospitalized and then passed away, so I've been in and amongst all of that for the last few weeks, um, but thrilled to be back with you. Um, and I, I just want to say a little thing about my grandpa, if, if I may. Please do. Tell us about Spike. Spike Walker. Um, he was 80 years old, larger than life kind of man. Uh, but what's really relevant is he made me do my first ever fundraising ask. Oh, really? Yeah. I love it. So, you know, typical grandparents, you know, they... They give every time I've got Girl Scout cookies or raising funds for D.A.R.E. or whatever it was. But this was a, a unique thing. I was in high school. My um, my competitive public speaking team had made the state finals. Um, but they were up in the Upper Peninsula, up in Marquette. And that's like an eight, nine hour drive. Yeah. And it was like prom weekend. Tons of schools across the state were actually dropping out because they didn't want to make the trip up there. Um, and we were trying to figure it out. And my coach said, really, the, the way we can bring our whole team is if we figure out how to fly. But the school can't afford that. And my grandpa, huge in flight, um, had his pilot's license, loved flying. He flew um, medical missions, like with organ transplant kind of thing. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So I went to him and I said, Grandpa, you know, here's the situation. Here's what it would cost to um, get my team up to Marquette. Would you fund it? And uh, he said, not like this, Nia. Write it up, do a formal proposal, and ask me right. Aww. So I did. I went to my dad's office later that night, wrote it all up, faxed it to his office, and then called him. And I'm sure I did something silly like, 
Mr. Walker, um, are you available to now speak about the proposal for the <laughs> Holland High School forensics team? <laughs> That's so amazing. Yeah, and he funded it. We, we flew up to Marquette. <laughs> wow. And look at that. That planted the seed for your future in the nonprofit sector. If he only knew what that moment spurred on. Oh, well, I just want to say for those of us who have known where you've been for the last couple of weeks, we've been thinking about you, sending you all of our love, and we desperately want you to come back home. (laughs) Colorado misses you. (laughs) I think, Brittany, this is the longest you and I have gone without talking. Like we've texted, but this is our first time like hearing each other's voices in almost three weeks. I know it's like reunited and uh, I can't sing, <laughs> but that song I was loving that moment playing on a loop in my head right now as soon as we jumped on our Zoom call. <laughs> so what have you been up to since we saw each other last? Oh, gosh, I don't even know. I'm gearing up for my daughter's birthday. So my oldest daughter is turning nine. Mm. Yeah. I know. I can't believe it. It's like nine going on 13. And um, so we, this week, this Thursday, we are having her birthday party and we rented out a movie theater. Oh my God. I know, which sounds extravagant, but it really is not. um, Because the movie theaters have not been playing at full capacity, this is kind of their side hustle that they've Mm -hmm. been doing during the pandemic. And I think movie theaters are moving to larger capacity or full capacity even starting next weekend. So Mm. we kind of got one of the last slots that they had at this special rate. And um, it allows her friends to be there with Mm. lots of room. You know, we're all going to wear masks, but uh, still, it's such a step up from, do you remember last year's party? Of course I do. I mean, as far as COVID birthdays and quarantine birthdays go, I think it was pretty fucking awesome. It was lit. It was right? actually lit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, And it was, that was our virtual scavenger hunt that we did with so all of her fun. friends. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So but this is I, definitely step up for sure. Step up and just so excited that she gets to be with her friends and there, you know, it's like nine-year-old um, drama is, mom, they all want to sit next to me at the movie <laughs> and they're fighting over who gets to sit next to me. So I told them that you have to decide. So they're all waiting to hear what your decision is. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> so to be continued, haven't made any decisions yet, but... We'll certainly ask next Monday. Yes. And so listeners, tune in (laughs) so we can get the full update on who got to sit next to Brittany's daughter. (laughs) But the world has is still turning and even as you're in Michigan and things are coming down the pike around donor privacy. And so is that what we're gonna talk about today? That we are. I am so stoked for this topic, not just because it allowed me to nerd out reading a bunch of law blogs. Um, Law blogs. Law blogs. (laughs) Makes me think of Bob Law Blah from Arrested Development. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. 
Um, yes, so donor privacy. Um, this is about to be big news as far as nonprofit news goes uh, because the Supreme Court's talking about it. I know. That's, that's big. Yes. So let's start with the basics. First off, Brittany, you've done a few 990 filings in your life, haven't you? I have. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with Schedule B? A little bit. So for um, all of our friends out there, Schedule B of the 990, the annual tax filing for nonprofits, is a listing of all donors who gave $5,000 or more in the prior year or contributed 2% or more of the overall revenue for the organization. So it's meant to take a look at who um, who kind of has the biggest stake in the organization. Do we have concentrated funds coming in from one person? But the Schedule B is never released. So it goes to the IRS. It goes to wherever you submit your 990 for charitable solicitation registrations. But it doesn't get released out. Like if you pull up 990s on GuideStar, Charity Navigator, wherever, you're not going to see a Schedule B. Okay. They call it confidential, non-public in terms of your tax filing. And Schedule B is really the center of these cases. So the Supreme Court has combined two cases um, about this topic um, for discussion. And they actually heard oral arguments back in April on it. Um, And essentially, there are these two organizations. They both are in California, file for charitable solicitation in California, so therefore have to submit their 990, including Schedule B, to the state of California. And they say that that violates their First Amendment freedom of of association for their donors. So they're they're saying that um, their donors should be able to remain anonymous and not be listed excuse me, not be listed in the Schedule B, even though the Schedule B is anonymous to the public or confidential or not shown to the public. So they're saying they don't even want the government to know. Yeah. Okay. And just to be clear, is this just for um, uh, 503, what am I saying? 503Bs? 501C3? 501, gosh, yes. Is this for 401Ks? This is, is this for, for Highway 119? <laughs> it's been a while, okay? It's been three weeks since we've recorded. Yes, 501c3s. Is this just for 501c3s? Oh my God, that's so good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and especially in these cases, we're talking 501c3s, which is actually a pretty important point of contention around this and part of what has come out in the um, amicus briefs related to it. Because the two agencies who have filed these these suits are 501c3s, but with pretty strong political ties. I was just going to say, who are these organizations that cares this much? Well, let me say, uh, if you had to guess which side of the political spectrum would be worried (laughs) about donor privacy, which one do you think it would be? Yeah, so what conservative organizations (laughs) are these? So the big one is the Americans for Prosperity Foundation. So you've heard of Americans for Prosperity, the think tank started by the Koch brothers, does all kind of shit. This is their foundation. Okay. And then the other one is the Thomas More Law Center, a conservative legal group okay 
So that that's one of the chief complaints is that these are not really representative of most nonprofits and for SCOTUS to take up this case with them as the, um, the primary examples is really not, it's not illustrative of the larger 501c3 group. Group? Exactly. Sector. Community? Yeah. Sector. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got a ton of fabulous articles on this because, um, of course, any nonprofit group who has ever said anything about anything has said something about this. Um, but my favorite one, let me pull it up here. This is from the Council of Nonprofits. So they say <laughs> that this is a campaign finance case that is cloaked in charity law clothing. And any mixing of the two can create significant problems. Aha. So let's go back to, we talked about this in a previous episode about how political donations are on public record. Right. Right. So Mm -hmm. if I give to the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, anybody can see that. Right. So is this um, Americans for Prosperity Foundation just a loophole of saying, now I can give this foundation a bunch of money and nobody's ever going to know, and I don't even want the government to know, mm-hmm. that I am funding this foundation, which is really funding um, political yada yadas, projects. Yeah. No, I think you're spot on there. Um it, and here's where, like, it, it's so, um, so interestingly complex that these groups would take this up in a way that could have such broad ranging impacts. I mean, they're, they're essentially wanting to create additional cover for donors, um, which to me sounds like more dark money. Right. I mean, like, exactly. yeah, there, there are still limitations on how that those funds can be used. And we know it is directly tied to Americans for Prosperity. Like they, they didn't even try to like come up with a a fun little cloak and dagger name <laughs> so that we would right. know they're different. The foundation that's not for Americans for <laughs> Prosperity. <Right. laughs> so like we know that they're they're intrinsically linked. Um, and if you look, their board list, almost identical between the two entities. <laughs> of course. So yeah, there's like a real dark money election kind of, concern there um but then the the other concern of course is that this could impact all nonprofits, all 501c3s and we also know scotus is not um not really adept at understanding nonprofits yeah. and how they operate um for instance are you familiar with the citizens united ruling back in 2010 i am not citizens united oh come on well it jogged my memory it's the one that basically said that corporations are people. Oh, yes. Well, throughout the opinion, they just use the generic term nonprofits. Even though that ruling, Citizens United, was really about 501c4s and c6s, which are allowed to legally engage in specific partisan electioneering. Right. The entire decision just says nonprofit. <laughs> I, I, 
And it would refute all IRS standards, legislation everywhere, if we actually took that to mean 501c3s. So I'm also just a little bit nervous that SCOTUS is discussing this case when we know they have such an imprecision right. for handling nonprofits anyway. So tell me what the outcome, the possible outcomes could right. be from this. Good question. Okay, so what um, Americans for Prosperity Foundation, of course, are hoping for is that SCOTUS will come back and say, yep, that's unconstitutional. Donors should be able to give freely and not have to be worried about being associated with that organization. We're going to uphold the First Amendment in this, and we are going to strike Schedule B across the board. You don't have to file it for the state. You don't have to file it with the IRS. Schedule B no longer exists. So let's stop there real quick. Is is there any negative impacts of that from our point of view, from the organization? Does that impact us? Probably not. Okay. From the individual nonprofit perspective. Um, I know when I was filling out, it's always just a pain in the ass. Right. So like less work. Yeah. You're like double checking. Have I added the right contributions in the right fiscal year to get them onto this form? Do I have the right mailing addresses? All of that. I think there's some critique of the larger construct around it, but we can talk about that in a minute. Okay. So that that's the ruling they're hoping for. Of course, they could do a much n- more narrow ruling and say, yes, the state oversight groups, the you know secretaries of state, whoever is overseeing charitable solicitations, they don't have um, the right to request this. And so we're just going to strike that down, but still require that it's part of your IRS filing. Okay. Or they could say, no, this actually doesn't infringe on the freedom of association. It's fully legal. File your fucking schedule with B. Okay. <clears throat> so the only way that it could really affect the... Um, lay organizations mm-hmm. that we represent would be if all of a sudden we didn't have to do it anymore. Right. Right. But you said the bigger, the larger picture impact of that. Yeah. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that the, um, the attorneys for Americans for Prosperity said was that um, they are going to see declines in donations if this maintains because this information can get leaked or that they just don't want to be associated at all. Um, and there was a leak in California. A bunch of the schedule B's got out. People got real pissed. Um, I don't think that we should have Supreme court rulings based on a mistake happening. Right. (laughs) Something like that seems like we shouldn't, we shouldn't assume that that's going to happen again. Um, but the, the concern about donors and their privacy is taken. And it's, it's something we talk about all the time. Like, do we put our donors on the annual report? Do right. we list them in the programs? What does that look like? And usually the way that it impacts individual nonprofits is just the concern about donors getting poached. Right? I was just going to say poaching. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't imagine any scenario in which SCOTUS would say, we're keeping Schedule B and now it's public. Right. Right. It's still a confidential document. So I just don't see it actually changing that much if it's maintained. If it goes away, I think that there's some public trust concerns that would come about, whether realized or otherwise. Um, You know, the 
the hope with Schedule B is that the IRS can detect if there's um, if there's dark money, if people are influencing nonprofits, um, if they're using them as private foundations when they shouldn't be. The problem is we've gutted the IRS to a point that their level of oversight is not I was there. Ju- I was just going to ask that, how often they're actually reading them and paying attention and you know, following up on questionable yeah. contributions. They're not. They're just not. <laughs> right. But at the same time, like, I still have this hope that the IRS will be able to do that at some point in the future, as well, like the state of Colorado, be able to do more. And so I want that document to still be available to them yeah. if they are able to ever do any investigations again. Right. The Council on Nonprofits very unequivocally states that, uh, first off, this case is not about public disclosure of all donors. Like, we know that that's not a thing. And so we need to, like, get that out of the discourse around this because it it's not a public disclosure document as is. Um, but Americans for Prosperity really want it to be about that because they want their donors thinking, oh, my God, if people knew I was donating, this could be really bad. I want to put pressure on folks to not let that happen. And so there have been over 80 amicus briefs filed on this decision. Yeah. Everybody's got an opinion about it. That's crazy. I mean, to think about um, the fear that you would have that someone would find out that you're giving to a foundation. Yeah. I think that in of itself is sketchy. Right? Yeah. I was trying to think of like what the all what the reverse of that is, and I was like, well, maybe like, you know, decades ago when um, maybe people weren't out, but they're given to LGBTQ rights organizations. Okay. So I could see that, or or now maybe it's like giving to um, like harm reduction uh, drug services. Right. You know, so like they're not fully mainstream yet. Maybe it could hurt your job. But it's just, it do, it doesn't resonate in the same way whatsoever. Yeah. It's interesting that it's 5,000 and above. Right? I mean, that makes sense for nonprofits of the sizes I've worked for. But you mm-hmm. think of some of these huge foundations, that's probably a lot of donors. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was thinking the last organization I worked in-house for that had a budget of, I think, just under a million dollars. Our Schedule B was so goddamn long. Oh, really? Well, yeah. That's good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yay me. But. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Nia. Good for you. <laughs> it just goes on forever because it's, it's every single one. Like, the percentage basis actually makes more sense. Yeah. But I, I also get that, you know, you got to start somewhere. And so that's okay. I mean, I think. I think if I go all in on what I truly believe about this, it would be that actually all donors would be public. That's your personal yeah. take? Wow. Yeah. You just want to like rip the bandaid off, huh? Yeah. Expose them all? Well, because, I mean, it comes back to that interplay between philanthropy and government. So in the United States, with your philanthropic giving, you get a tax deduction. So essentially, you get tax dollars because of your contributions. I feel like 
the public deserves to know what that looks like. Yeah, that is super controversial. I know, I know. <laughs> we don't shy away from that on the nonprofit reframe. I know. I would love to hear what people think on both sides of the issue because um, I don't. I don't know if I've sat with it long enough to really come to my own conclusion. Um, I can see both sides, mm-hmm. but. I've definitely poached some donors. Really? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. It's business. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't like looked at somebody's annual report and like circled names and like strategically went after people. But if there was a prospect that I knew of and I found other places that they had given that were like mission oriented as mine, then I would, you know, definitely work harder to cultivate them as a donor of mine. Yeah. No, no, I feel that. Yep. Done that too. And with foundations for sure. Mm -hmm. Definitely looked at 990s to see. Oh, for sure. Where they're getting grants from. Mm -hmm. But. Yeah. I I just want to go through, um, the brief from the Nonprofit Council on Nonprofits, sorry, National Council of Nonprofits. I was going to say, that's a really redundant (laughs) name. I know. Gosh, they could have shortened that up. Um, Because I feel like they hit the key points. Um, So they they bulleted out. And of course, as always, you'll find this in the show notes, folks. So they say, first off, the litigants are atypical. First off, their size. So Americans for Prosperity Foundation had annual expenses of $18 million in 2018. Wow. That's huge. That's huge. I Say mean, that one more time. $18 million in 2018 were their annual expenses. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Where we know 92% of all nonprofits have annual expenses under $1 million. Right. So like just size, scope, scale. They are large. That's what I'm saying. Their Schedule B is very long. But, well, that, that kind of supports their case. So, no. <laughs> oh, no. Never mind. <laughs> uh, their next point is context matters. The court should recognize that the case before it is a thinly veiled election law case being waged in the charity law context and that the outcome of the case could put the work of charitable nonprofits at risk. Yep. That's a good one. Um, next point, keep polarizing partisanship away from charitable nonprofits. They say don't use this case to chip away at the broad support for the longstanding protections of charitable nonprofits from partisan demands from candidates, their operatives, and donors. So again, like we still have that Johnson Amendment in place, that thing that doesn't allow nonprofits to support or oppose specific candidates. But the concern is that if there's no reporting of these donors, that there'll be additional funds and therefore additional pressures on nonprofits to be more involved politically. Um, Protecting the public trust, the public trust and the well-being of the charitable sector rely on effective law enforcement performed in cooperation and partnership with nonprofits. And Schedule B is neither burdensome nor intrusive. I mean, that sounds like a basic accountability thing, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a tool used to help understand nonprofits and who's funding them. So we'll find out in June, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Theoretically. I mean, SCOTUS has been known to fuck shit up just to play with us. (laughs) 
I'm looking at you, Ginsburg. May you rest in peace. Um, but yeah, the, the hope is that in June, like I said, they already had oral arguments on it. Um, so I think it's safe to say whenever that decision is released, we'll do a mini-sode update just to let folks know what's going on, what that means for nonprofits, how narrow or broad they ruled. I can't believe I've got a, a reason to read an entire Supreme Court ruling. I'm already basking that. I can't wait to get the Cliff Notes version of of that from you. Yes. <laughs> but in the meantime, we want to hear what you think. You know, what are your thoughts on it? And you can disagree with Nia. It's fine. It's okay. She'll be all right. Wait, how is it just Nia now? What happened to us? I thought that was a co-host. No, I'm I'm on the fence. I don't know which way. <laughs> I'm taking the safe route. I need to think about it a little bit more. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm just kidding. But seriously, either way, we want to hear what you think. Have you ever put together a Schedule B? Was it onerous? Do you wish you didn't have to do that anymore? Do you think that it's worth the work um, just to have kind of a, a log of who's giving where at that level and above? How can they get in touch with us? You can email us, nonprofitreform at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I think it would also be interesting if folks want to weigh in and say, like, what do you think would happen if those did get leaked again? Yeah. Like, if that happened in your state to your donors, what would that mean? What would the impact of that be? Um, Because I'm genuinely curious about what that looks like, especially if you're in California and you are actually part of that leak. I'd love to hear what happened. Or I would love to hear from people about what do you think it would look like if it was all public knowledge, if all of our charitable contributions were public knowledge. Yes. Now, that being said, I think, you know, when you say that, you immediately think that that's going to be like posted on people's Facebook pages. And it's not like that. People still have to dig for it and, you know, use their mad Google skills. But, you know, what would that look like? You know, when people are job searching and you're Google stocking a candidate that's applying for a job at your organization and that stuff comes up, is that going to impact decisions on hiring? Yeah. And what kind of organizations would be in play? Like, oh, they gave to the Denver Zoo. That's cool. What's (laughs) the organization that raises the red flag? Exactly. The Americans for Prosperity Foundation, number one. (laughs) right there (laughs) all right great well please shoot us an email um post on our socials let us know what you think um and at the same time don't forget that we need to be supporting these nonprofits while your contributions are still anonymous and (laughs) (laughs) so please give and give generously thanks folks We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.